0: As we continue with our series in Luke's Gospel, we are looking at Luke chapter 9 this evening uh, this morning. Luke chapter 9. The title of my sermon is "The Way to Greatness." Way to Greatness, Luke chapter 9, I'll read from verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. In these three verses, Luke gives a brief account of when the Lord Jesus Christ responded to an exchange of words that had taken place amongst the twelve apostles. Looking at Mark's account of what happened, it can be seen that they'd had uh, a discussion as they travelled along the road. It wasn't necessarily a full-blown argument that they had, but they were nevertheless reasoning amongst themselves. Therefore, one might reasonably say that there was a degree of disagreement amongst the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we learn from Mark's Gospel that when the Lord Jesus Christ took the child that we've just seen in these three verses, and he set it before him, they were in a house in Capernaum. We're not told that in Luke's Gospel. They were in a house in Capernaum. It may well have been Peter's house, since it can be seen in Luke chapter 4, that Peter had a house there in Capernaum and that Jesus had previously healed Peter's mother-in-law of a great fever in that house. However, it's not given whose house it was, but many of the commentators disregard, disregard any likelihood of it belonging to Jesus. Most likely, I would think, because even though every beast of the forest is his and he owns the cattle upon a thousand hills and his is the greatness, the glory, the power, the victory, the majesty for all that is in heaven and on earth is his. His is the kingdom. For all that, when the Son of God stepped down from his heavenly glory into this dark world of sin, he made himself of no reputation Taking the form of a servant, and he declared, Jesus declared, foxes have their holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the son of man have not where to lay his head. First of all, we can consider the dispute amongst the apostles. We're told in verse 46, that there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. We get a bit more information in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, where it can be seen that they were reasoning about which of them should be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we get that that extra information, the kingdom of heaven. It sounds as if the apostles were having heavenly thoughts, doesn't it? Which one should be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Heavenly thoughts. But that's not necessarily the case. In fact, thoughts about which one of them, which of them, would be of higher rank in an earthly kingdom, despite calling it the kingdom of heaven, are much more likely when you consider that according to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, after the resurrection of Jesus, so bear in mind what we're looking at today, Jesus hadn't yet laid down his life at the cross, but what I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 was after the crucifixion of Jesus, after he'd risen from the dead, after he'd ascended to heavenly glory. And they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou... Sorry, this is before he attended heavenly glory. They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They asked Jesus this after he had risen from the dead. Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Thoughts of an earthly kingdom only evaporated after the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and the day of Pentecost had arrived. On that day, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus had promised to send, was given and from then on, the apostles no longer entertained worldly ambitions. But when you read, when you carefully read the Gospels, you realise that a lot was hidden from them. There was a time for everything and the time had not yet arrived for them to have the understanding that we have as we read our Bibles. We're in a greatly privileged position having completed Bibles where we read of the, the, the the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, His crucifixion. They, they could not understand that Jesus would be crucified. You remember me saying the other week, Peter remonstrating with Jesus. Peter rebuking the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, this will never happen to you. When Jesus spoke about his crucifixion. We have all of this in our Bibles. We have the resurrection of Jesus. We have his ascension. And we have details of Jesus when he shall come again in judgment. And when he shall usher in new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. But for those apostles, as I say, their earthly thoughts, their earthly ambitions really only evaporated after, uh, at the day of Pentecost when The Holy Spirit was given. Coming back to our passage in Luke, John Gill, the Bible commentator, said, They expected the kingdom of the Messiah would be a temporal one, a worldly one. Wherefore, the dispute was not about degrees in glory, nor in grace, nor who should be the greatest apostle and preacher of the gospel. But who should be Prime Minister to the King Messiah when he should set up his monarchy in all its grandeur and glory? Also, it's been said that, fired with the notion that their master would ere long publicly assert his messianic claims, which in their view implied temporal sovereignty and secular power, they looked forward to becoming dignitaries in this new kingdom. Three of them had been honoured with special marks of favour. One of them had been preeminently distinguished. How would it be when the coming empire was established? This had been the subject of conversation and had given rise to some contention amongst them. That sounds like a fair and realis- realistic comment. As to what prompted the apostles to reason amongst themselves, which of them should be greatest, well, it's it's been suggested in that second comment that I read to you there. The Lord Jesus Christ, he'd just recently been up on a high mountain with just three of his apostles, Peter, John and his brother James, leaving the other nine behind. Whilst the privileged few were on that mountain, they beheld something of the glory of the Son of God, when his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were as white as light. Also, there was that time when Jesus went into the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, whose 12-year-old daughter had died. When Jesus entered the house, the same privileged three apostles entered with him, but not the others. In verse 47, we're told that Jesus perceived the thoughts of their hearts. Time and again, we get a reminder that Jesus is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of our hearts whether we give voice to those thoughts or not. Jesus, who is the Word, He is the Word of God who became flesh. He uncovers and brings to light the secret thoughts that are hidden away in our hearts, hidden away from others in the deepest recesses of our hearts. And He does that. He uncovers those secret thoughts by His written Word. And by the faithful preaching of his word, which is truth. As it is written in Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. The word of God is quick, in other words, it's alive. The word of God is alive, it abides forever, it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I don't know if that's, if you understand any of that, but this is certainly my experience reading the word of God and it just exposes everything. It exposes or it, it reveals the holiness of God but it also exposes my sinfulness. Does it do the same to you? Everything is laid bare. It's worth bearing in mind and taking very seriously when you consider that in Noah's time, Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, and as he was busy building an ark, Presumably the preacher of righteousness was doing just that. He was preaching the, he was preaching righteousness, preaching to the people who were watching him building that huge ark. And we're told that during Noah's time, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, that's man's heart, was only evil continually. That always gets me that verse, those of you who listen regularly to my preaching that you know that because i 'm always mentioning it not just the thoughts of men 's hearts but every imagination of the thoughts of men 's hearts. I have no reason to suppose that all these years anything has changed concerning the condition of men 's hearts, that every imagination of the thoughts of men's hearts, your heart, my heart, is evil, not sometimes, but continually. Nothing's changed. You can't hide anything from God, who is all-seeing and all-knowing. If you haven't already done so, it's time for you to confess to God your sinful deeds the inappropriate words that you've spoken. Including all those times that you've lied. And the wickedness that is hidden away from others in your heart. And receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour from sin. You must do this with the utmost urgency. If you have not already done so. Secondly. Secondly. We see that the way to greatness is through humility. Let's have a look at verses 47 and 48 again. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all The same shall be great. The Lord Jesus Christ took a child and had him stand beside him. Furthermore, Mark's Gospel tells us that Jesus took that child in his arms. That's a beautiful thought. Imagine it. Jesus taking a child in his arms. How beautiful that is. It's a beautiful thought. But equally beautiful is the thought of you being safe and secure in the hand of Jesus. And in the hand of his father. Safe and secure. Double safe and secure. In the hand of Jesus and in the hand of God. Not only is that a beautiful thought. It's a reality for all who belong to Jesus. Knowing him as their good shepherd, they being his sheep. What Jesus then said to his apostles is a complete contrast to the logic of this world. He said, "'He that is least amongst you all, the same shall be great.'" you wouldn't expect to hear the boss of a company saying such words to his fellow directors. And, forgive me for saying this, but if any of you have watched The Apprentice on television, it's most unlikely that you will have heard Mr Sugar saying to any of those buzzing, budding business tycoons, he that is least amongst you all, the same shall be great. That is not something that he would say. Whether it's reality TV or the real world, the way to greatness in this world is achieved by what? Achieved by self-promotion, self-importance, self-exaltation. Needless to say that a very imaginative and highly exaggerated CV is an absolute must. And yes, I do speak from experience many years ago. I'd look at my CVs and barely recognise that it was about me and so too is a preparedness to be dishonest ruthless and corrupt these are the things that really matter if you want to get on in this world you think oh I'm being so negative as usual I know it to be the case Ultimately, what really matters is success and greatness in terms of how much money you've made and how much power you wield. The Lord Jesus Christ turns the values of this world upside down and on their head. Elsewhere, when Jesus was speaking to the proud and self-righteous Pharisees, he said, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased which means brought low, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Dear Christian, any self-righteous pride and any self-exalting ambitions that you had before you trusted in Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord, they ought to have been stripped away, as it was for the Apostle Paul who said, but what things were gained to me Those I counted loss for Christ, yea doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. When the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed to Paul and and in Paul, revealed in him, He was stripped bare of all the layers of his self-righteousness that he built up simply from being a sinful human being in this world but also from being a self-righteous Pharisee. That was all stripped off. And all the privileges that came with him being a Pharisee were gone. No longer did he have favour amongst his peers He suffered all things for Christ. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten, scourged, left for dead. But he was stripped of his self-righteousness. That doesn't mean to say that he was left naked when he came to faith in Jesus. Far from it. Jesus clothed him in garments of salvation, Jesus adorned him in a robe of righteousness, the righteousness of God, no less. Not the righteousness of Paul, but the righteousness of God. The same sentiment was communicated, that was communicated by Paul, is also expressed by the songwriter who wrote, All I once held dear, built my life upon, All this world reveres and wants to own, all I once thought gain I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this knowing you, Jesus. That little chorus has a lovely tune, and I'm guessing that most of you, if not all of you, know that tune. All I once held dear, built my life upon. Uh, Most of you will know it, I'm pretty sure of that. Most of you will have sung it, but I wonder how many of you actually mean any of it. When you sing that nice little tune, do you mean any of those words? I say that because pride and a love of things of this world and a desire to receive the praise of men can very easily continue to hold sway if your focus, as a Christian, doesn't continue to be upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This is when Jesus, the Son of God, came down from heaven into this dark world of sin. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, And being found in a fashion, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When you consider that, dear Christian, none of us have any business thinking highly of ourselves. We're to esteem others better than ourselves. Look at verse 47 and 48 again. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. In that house in Capernaum, The Lord Jesus Christ presented a child to his apostles who had been busy arguing amongst themselves about which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. What can be said about a child? A child has no influence. A child cannot advance a man's career, nor can he enhance a man's prestige. A child cannot give us anything. It's the other way round. A child needs things. A child must have things done for him. And so it is that the person who is great in the kingdom of heaven is someone who needs Christ Every moment of every day, he is someone who, having been saved by his sins, by the grace of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, recognises that he is weak and prone to wander, that he can do no good apart from the grace of God that saved him. As such, he continually draws on the enabling grace of Christ who is his strength, he is his justification, he is his sanctification, he is his wisdom, he is his everything, that's you if you're Christian, Christ is your everything, is he not? And without him you are nothing and you can do nothing except sin. Also, if a man welcomes the poor, ordinary people, the people who have no influence, no wealth, no power, people who are despised perhaps, the people who need things done for them, then he is welcoming God. Not only was the child who was in the arms of Jesus an emblem of humility, but also children have not yet had their minds poisoned and corrupted by the philosophies of this world. Neither have they become so intoxicated with ambitions of self-aggrandisement and, uh, and self that they dismiss the word of God and they reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. With that in mind, the person who is great in the kingdom of heaven has a biblical worldview. Because he hasn't been corrupted by the secular world view. He examines everything in light of God's infallible word. For example, he doesn't question the six days of creation. Neither does he consider the gospel of the incarnate son of God to be foolishness or a stumbling block. He receives these wonderful truths like a child. And so it is that the way to greatness is to acknowledge that you deserve nothing good from God. As you admit and you confess that you are a hell deserving sinner who has failed to love God as you ought to and you have failed to love your neighbour as yourself. Receive Jesus as your saviour. Believe on his name. Trusting in him alone for your acceptance before God. Believing that he has lived the sinless life that you have failed so spectacularly to live. And that he has carried your sins in his own body at the cross. And that he rose triumphant over sin, Satan and death on the third day. And that he is highly exalted and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that you, as one who are trusting in Jesus, your, your soul has been lifted out of the pit. And you have been raised up and set upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your everything. Amen.